Alright, I believe we are live. I probably have to uh, turn live. down my uh, mic. <laughs> uh, but let's get started. That was an issue last time. It was very, very loud. Anyway, hello and welcome to episode 8 of Laughing Into the Void. I'm your host, Tom, and not co-hosting with me as always, uh, we have guest co-host Brooke Chandelmeyer. Uh, you can watch our previous broadcasts on the District Comedy YouTube, Facebook channels, or listen to them uh, on Spotify. Um, I, I received notice that I am loud. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, but um, if you want to support the stream, you can always like, share, and subscribe. Uh, alternatively, please consider making a donation this holiday season of any size at district-comedy.live. Your support is mandatory and appreciated. Um, but here with us today, we have Kelly Zemnikis. Kelly is a Toronto-based writer, stand-up comic, and producer, a frequent contributor on the web series TMZ Live. She is also co-producer on the 9-11 First Responder documentary, No Responders Left Behind. Additionally, she's a freelance writer and has been published in publications such as Future Female, Chatelaine, I believe it's correct. Chatelaine. Um, Metro UK, Unwritten, and Hello Giggles. Finally, she is the host and producer of the YouTube series, Ailey Fine, the socially distant baking slash food chat show. Okay. Spotlight removed. Gallery view. And now we can all be seen. Yay. Uh, okay. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. Um, quite the extensive resume. Very impressive. So not too shabby. I'm very, I'm very happy that you could be here with us. And uh, you've been on the TV and Jake Mike a couple times. And Brooks was actually on your show, the cooking show, where you all made <laughs> rainbow cookies. Uh, so yes. that's great. Um, but I'm just gonna uh, go ahead and get us started um, because we start every show pretty much the same way. Where I'm gonna ask you, drum roll. Um, so, how would you describe your sense of humor to someone who has never seen you perform? Uh, I've got a pretty dry sense of humor, I think. Yeah, I think I think I'd describe myself as a, a dry sense of humor. Um, you know, observant, uh, observant of relationships. Um, I'm not a very political comic. I'm kind of, you know, going through stuff of being a single gal in my 40s and the the fun that ensues from being single in your 40s. <laughs> right. Um, so that's very cool. I'm sure very relatable to a lot of people out there. Is there anybody as far as like uh, well-known comedians who you're like, that vibes with me a ton? <laughs> um, I would say in terms of style, like Wendy Liebman is someone who I find I can really relate to, even in, in sort of how delivery is of being a bit you know a bit slow a bit drier in pace i find wendy is someone i can really connect with she was actually a big influence on me as a, a younger kid and a teenager growing up and oh. just seeing who was on the scene and and in quarantine we've become twitter friends which is super cool that is really cool i just saw like yeah. a thing yesterday where it's like one of my friends on facebook was like doing a virtual show with like maria bamford and Maria Bamford is like my idol, and I'm like, oh my god, how is this happening? <laughs> um, clearly, I need to network more, but that was just like so cool. Um, but, but yeah, um, and remind me, about how long have you been doing stand-up for? Stand-up, uh, I'm a couple weeks away from my five-year 
anniversary. Oh, congratulations! That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I myself am like in a weird place because we've done. Brooks was on the same improv troupe with me as Roz, and that was around for like eight years, and then me and Roz knew each other a little bit before that. Um, but as far as stand-up comedy specifically, I think I've been to three live open mics ever. <laughs> um, no way! <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of weird. <laughs> um, uh, you and me, you and me actually like started doing stand up and like open mics together a couple of years ago. We did. And uh, Brooks was much better about it than me. <laughs> <laughs> and we just go off and on we just go off and on though. Um, mm -hmm. so like the T V and J mic was the first time we could really like actively do it week after week after week. Yeah. Which, well, it was for yeah. me. Yeah. It can be it can be kind of intense too to kind of go from nothing to like three minutes of material every week, or now four minutes of material every week because people yeah. wanted longer sets. But um, going back to you, um, <laughs> we mentioned in your intro that you're kind of a published author. Um, so I was like reading up and I saw that last year around October, uh, you had an article published uh, where you kind of write about your venture into stand-up. Um, mm -hmm. And in it, this is probably going to be weird for you, because, like, I've never been in this situation, but I'm about to read your own quote back at you. But <laughs> um, you say, I had the ability to do anything in the world. Actually, I had the responsibility to do that. James couldn't, so I owed it to him to try all the things I wanted to try, like stand-up. So for people who may not have, like, read that full article, can you kind of expand on that and tell us a little bit about that journey that you had into stand-up comedy? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, every every time I get asked by someone, you know, how did you start, My I always sort of hesitate. I'm like, do you, do you really want to know? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, um, uh, five years ago, um, uh, the, the love of my life, my first boyfriend, um, my better half, uh, found out he had cancer far too late. And he got sick pretty quickly from diagnosis to his ultimate passing. And what ended up being our very last conversation, um, I remember getting off the phone and I was in my bathroom. I was on the floor just like, ugly crying like it was it was gross and I got up and I looked at myself in the mirror and it was like this light bulb went off I was like go do everything you've been thinking of and I've been thinking of doing stand-up I would say by that point for like five years I had this voice in my head that kept telling me you should probably try stand-up one day I was like who is saying this to me why would I do that and uh, when I when I realized that James wasn't going to be coming home or, you know, be were a couple by that point, but when, when I realized he wasn't going to be getting better and this was pretty much the end of the road, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to do anything I have the ability to. Um, and I did my first open mic a week later. That, that was, wow. that was what pushed me after like five years of this voice in my head. That is what the push was. Which, now I gotta ask, yeah. how did the yeah. first open mic go? I feel that's an easy um, one. <laughs> yeah. 
rough. It was pretty <laughs> rough. <laughs> um, I, I've never had my heart beat that fast in my life. And I don't know about you guys about the first time you ever did it, but it, I thought it was going to like just have a heart attack. And uh, I, I was Sounds so about right. scared. <laughs> I was so scared. I think I did about seven minutes. Wow. I think I think I ended up, I still have it on tape. I think it was about that long. The second I got off the stage, I was like, when the hell can I do that again? I was hooked. Wow. Instantly. Oh, my God. Were, were you supposed to do seven minutes? Or was it like kind of a looser format where they just like... <laughs> It was <laughs> shining the light on your face, like. It was, um, it was a pretty cool format. I was working as a technician, which is how I got my start in comedy of doing tech uh, at clubs. And it was a club here in Toronto called The Social Capital. And uh, friends of mine ran a room called Bomb Bays. And the concept was, as an artist, you could go do this show and do something you were not known for or good at so the audience was going to be friendly and kind of be really kind to you i probably was supposed to do five but yeah i did like seven minutes <laughs> that's still really cool though i mean i still struggle i feel sometimes in like getting up to 10 minutes with like okay. being given notice and like ample time to prepare so to go straight into seven minutes is like brava brava um but Tell us a little bit more about the transition from, like, I know that, or I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you were in a more formal kind of, like, TV producer track, and you still do some of that work, um, but then you kind of, with this transition into stand-up five years ago, made some, uh, I think what people would say, pretty radical life changes. Oh, absolutely. I used to own a home. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can't do if you're in comedy. <laughs> Unless you're very, very lucky. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I was a production coordinator, uh, and I worked on a wide variety of stuff from, like, a deal or no deal, the Canadian version. Oh. <laughs> Or uh, a show a lot of people are, are fans of, Property Brothers. I worked on their first season. Mm -hmm. So I was in the office behind <laughs> the scenes, scheduling the crews, booking the, booking the catering, getting the makeup truck, getting the PAs, training people. I was doing all of those jobs that go into a production that nobody watching a show will think about, you know? <laughs> and putting in, you know, like 15, 20 hour days, you know, five, six days a week, depending on where you were in the season. And that's what I was doing. And I'd been doing that for about 10 years. Oh, so wow. a super long time. And um, yeah, I had a house, I, I had a condo in downtown Toronto. And I was, I was doing all the like, I guess if you had like an adult checklist, I was checking off all the things on being a good adult, I had right. a, a, a job, and I was own property and, and that kind of stuff. And I was miserable. <laughs> and, um, when uh, it came around the time after doing this, as I say, for about 10 years, maybe even longer than that, um, a TV contract ended and my local diner was looking for a waitress. And they said, you're here every day. Do you want to work here? You know what the orders are. <laughs> and, um, I, <laughs> I 
really honest and truly hopped right out of TV homeownership into waitressing at a diner and renting again in my mid thirties. I, I walked away from everything. Uh, which is so crazy. Cause like hearing you say that now I'm like, Oh my God, I want to do that. Um, <laughs> but I think it's interesting too, that you're kind of like hopping from like, like you said, like the less, I guess what people would consider glamorous aspect yeah. of entertainment still into t entertainment but mm -hmm. wow that's still just like oh, god i want to drop everything and like do what you did um except i've never owned a home i'm still renting now um, <laughs> but you were you know fortunate enough to make these radical changes uh to your lifestyle in order to pursue stand-up um so for like somebody who's like watching and is kind of feeling the way that I am right now, do you have any advice for someone who would want to kind of follow in your footsteps and similarly like pursue their craft as their main focus? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that transition of like, how do I go from being, uh, you know, balancing the daytime job and the nighttime job to like making stand up the primary focus? I, I think for me, um, there's so much power in listening to your intuition, in following your gut. When you've got that hunch that something isn't working in your life and you're aware of it, but you keep grinding and doing the stuff that, and you're not happy, but you're doing it, but you know something's there. I, I can't say enough of trying in, in whatever avenue that you can, maybe it's taking an acting class at night or going and doing one stand-up set, just one, see how it goes. There, I can't say enough good stuff about trying to follow your heart, really. There's, oh. there, there's something to, I, I don't know, it was... It was kind of weird, like, in my mid-30s to go, oh, yeah, I deserve to be happy. That was a big, big realization <laughs> for me that, okay, yeah, I was making really good money, but I was miserable. I was really miserable, and something felt like it was missing in my life, but I didn't know how to get there. And then that door opened with the waitressing job. Like, that job changed my life. Because working in TV and being behind the scenes, I got very used to being invisible. And like, if nobody knew I was doing my job, then I was doing my job. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it was pretty lonely and I got yelled at a lot unless I didn't get yelled at, which I guess basically no one was talking to me. Oh. So, um, <laughs> the, uh, the waitressing job was really good for me because it got me engaging with people every day of every different walk of life and storytelling. And I'm so grateful to, to Chris at the Patrician Diner in, uh, in Toronto. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I can, I can identify a whole lot though with having those jobs that like you are financially taken care of, but just the atmosphere is any interaction with people you have is negative because if you're doing yeah. your job correctly, you're just ignored. And it's yeah. devastating, especially combined with those 16 plus hour days. Like I, I did oh. campaigning for the first six years out of college and that's what the life was, where it if is. someone interacts with you, to yell at you. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you're you're so exhausted, and then you're trying to make executives happy and production managers happy and talent happy, but then it's like, what about you? Like, if you're yeah. not <laughs> if you're not working, if you're not fulfilled, if you're not rested, if you're not happy, you are running on steam, and you're gonna you're gonna crash and burn. And I I hit that proverbial wall. I just. I, I've had some people say to me, like, oh, you're making money and own the home. Well, that's a nice problem to have. And, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I get the ribbing, but there, there is something so big to being happy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, it is like that aspect of it that is the hardest decision to make because it feels selfish almost to be like, yeah you know what, I am going to not worry about what other people expect me to have or where in life they expect me to be um, and just pursue my own happiness instead. Um, oh, totally. And, and I'm, I'm not... I'm quitting my job tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not someone who has kids. I don't, I don't have a family. So I've got some luxury of, of you know, morphing my, my life as, mm -hmm. as I choose to have it. So I can quite understand if, if someone's got, you know, a family and, and they've I've got all these other obligations, things that I did not have, and I'm aware of that. Um, but you'll, you'll figure it out. Like if it's meant for you, it's going to find you, but you've got to, you've got to listen to the signs and be observant. And, and I think if you ultimately do want to change, you're going to figure it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful message, and we just got started, y'all. Oh, if you're not tuning in, tune in now so we can fix your life. Um, <laughs> no, I, and I'll also, I guess, clarify after making that joke. It doesn't sound like you're telling people, you know, quit your job tomorrow. Like, don't make a plan. Just whatever it is, if your passion is basket weaving, quit your job as a lawyer and go basket weave. <laughs> it sounds like there's also, and even still is a little bit, some balancing that you have to do. Um, oh, certainly. Although it I sounds mean, like as... waitressing is also like something that you really love doing as, you know, a day job. If it's not the main pursuit, it's definitely something that you like. Exactly. What I've managed to do and i say this as someone who has uh well now that the restaurant industry in toronto is quite different and there is no restaurant work to be done indoors right now um i on a good day have about four part-time jobs to allow me to do stand-up and be a freelance writer and a mm -hmm. filmmaker so i am i am very scheduled i am very like <laughs> what is each hour of my day <laughs> I am hustling like I have never hustled before, but my primary focus is making the writing, the joke telling, the filmmaking, that's like my my primary focus and everything else allows me to uh, to do that. So yeah, I'm not just sitting at home, you know, I'm, I'm very right. busy. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, even just hearing you talk now, it sounds like you're still working those 15 odd hour days sometimes but it, when it's all in the pursuit of this you know goal of eventual happiness yeah. or um you know supporting 
the craft or whatever it is um, for yeah. people. Yeah, because I still am to a degree involved in TV production. Um, I do this job that another job a lot of people wouldn't know exists. Uh, I transcribe for movies and TV shows. So when you watch like those home render shows or stuff and people are talking to camera for two minutes, I quite possibly am sitting through two and a half hours of an interview with that person and I'm typing everything out word for word. So that's a job I do for post-production, but I can do that from home. And um, that's pretty cool. And then on occasion, I get lucky enough to work as a writer's assistant. So I get to go on a set and be in the writing room. Um, so it's interesting how I, I left that industry to go focus on what I wanted to do. And now I found a way to merge them together. But in my... On your terms, course, yeah. So is is going back into like the writer's room and doing that full time like something that you like a goal of yours now? Like since you have yeah. this writing experience and comedy experience? Absolutely. And especially after the past few months of doing so much stuff on Zoom and actually going ahead and taking classes because I never took classes on how to do comedy. I, I immersed myself in it and I kind of learned as I went. So now that I've been taking writing classes and, you know, working on my stand-up and, um, yeah, I, I... Oh, I've seen you at various open mics um, and at various showcases doing the stand-up, but the thing that, ha I don't know if it's what you're most known for in the Zoom community, but what I see you doing the most <laughs> is, of course, the It'll Be Fine, the Socially Distant Baking Slash Food Chat Show. Um, yes. So... <laughs> I got like a lot of questions about that because the show just looks so fun. Um, but um, first off, congratulations because you just recently hit your 100th episode. Is that right? Uh, we're, we're two weeks away from Two weeks away? Okay, yay! Syndication! Everybody tune in for that. Oh, oh God. It's going to be a good one. Blow that 100th episode up. Um, but Can you do like a little, a little teaser on what's getting cooked? Um, the, uh, the, uh, well, um, the recipe is the, uh, the reason why the show started. It is the recipe that, uh, I'll, I'll, let me explain how the show started. So Ooh. I had friends over here in this kitchen, uh, last summer baking a cake and it was a disaster. It was, we were just doing it for fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was just a shit show. And I kept saying to them, guys, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> and I was like, that's a really good name for a baking show. <laughs> and, um, and so that cake that we made in my kitchen here, just as a couple of gals getting together for some fun, will be the cake we make for the 100th episode. Oh, is it going to be those same friends making it with you? Or who's the guest? Um, because of quarantine times oh, okay. and my kitchen being very small, I can't. But I, I, I won't say who's going to be on the okay. show. But I'm pretty psyched about what's happening. <laughs> cool, cool. So, yeah, that's how it started. <laughs> that's so fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was actually on. I was actually on. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. uh, we made rainbow cookies and. Um, they did not look the way they were supposed to. They turned out pretty good, right? <laughs> they were delicious. They still are. I, I have a little portion of the dough in my freezer still. I don't yeah. make a couple of cookies, uh, you know, in a couple of days. But um, 
Yeah, they looked nothing like the rainbow that we were supposed to. Uh, <laughs> but they were our own rainbow. It was our the own demo rainbow. picture was like this beautifully like stacked like Ruby oh Jib like. Well, thing. I'm sure and though, like the advertisements for the recipe is never how it actually looks. It's always like exactly. photoshopped or like actually made of like wax or something. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> There is, there is so much art direction that goes into what you see in the cookbook <laughs> yeah, exactly. or in the commercial. So I'm making it real. It doesn't always work sometimes. <laughs> Which honestly is better. The people need to see how baking actually works. I also have so much more respect no offense to like chefs and cooks out there, but I just find that there's so much less wiggle room with baking where I would consider myself an okay cook. I, like, when it comes to baking, just because all those measurements have to be exact, and I'm not a math person at all, it feels like yeah. that is intense. <laughs> there is there is much more, there's much more of a scientific spin uh, to baking, absolutely. But that being said, if I want to change something, I will try it. <laughs> so. Well, that's a good attitude to have, because I'd be too scared. <laughs> You know, I have it tattooed on my arm, all is possible, to a pussy oh. lip, so I have to live by that, right? So yeah. It'll, it'll work out. <laughs> in baking and in the rest of life, too. Um. <laughs> baking science is at least delicious science. Like, mm. you can you can enjoy their final products. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's good messing around, and, and it's so much fun on the show because, you know, mm -hmm. when I do forget to add the sugar or the salt, I let the viewers know that I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> you also just have to roll with it at that point, because it's, uh, it's all live, correct? Um, we do it live to tape, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'll edit it to sort of condense it for the, the time window that I like to put it in, about half an hour, 35. Um, but, yeah, if something goes wrong, I put that in. <laughs> I just did a shoot uh, that's going to air next Tuesday, I uh, made some snickerdoodle cookies uh, with Kareth Foster uh, down in the States. And um, her kids were in the show, and one of her daughters was not a fan. <laughs> oh, my God. It was, just, it was just pure brilliance, because, like, kids are so honest. damn honest. <laughs> yes. Yep. So oh. I loved it. I <laughs> but um speaking of like i mean that sounds like it kind of goes into my next question um but just to verify is that like one of your favorite parts of doing the show or what is your favorite part of doing the show if not being able to improvise in those moments of <laughs> intensity where something might go wrong <laughs> i i honestly love the moments i mean i i do love the whole darn thing but the moments where I get to taste and eat that for the first time um, because I have such uh, such childlike enthusiasm for everything I eat it's like it's food it's amazing <laughs> you know there's there's such a uh, joy in in just getting to try something that I just you know I've, I've had some shoots I uh, had one um, the episode airing next Thursday actually uh, was one of those episodes where I started tearing up. It was like so good. <laughs> oh, the show was so raw. <laughs> oh. But yeah, I don't know. 
you guys have ever experienced that, but I've definitely Ooh. gone to restaurants, yeah. Emer Emeralds in New Orleans. Uh, I went there a few years ago, and I cried. The food was so good. I just love food. <laughs> I mean, I constantly have those moments. <laughs> uh, I, I, I tinker and play in the kitchen all the time. Just my, my yeah. poor fiance will hear me shouting like, God, I'm so good at this. <laughs> oh, my God. Fun. That's it's great. Fun. Food is great. <laughs> but um, <laughs> pretending that Brooks isn't in the room right now, uh, I also want to ask: so, who's been your favorite person to interview? Oh, man! Because you've had quite um, a few guests on. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, we're tomorrow uh, we're airing episode number ninety-five. Mm -hmm. So, in in all that time. Um, I have, I, I don't know, I mean... Maybe not a favorite, maybe like a most memorable. My parents did episode number 50. Uh, oh. My mom and dad were on the show, and they reviewed the show so far. And that was pretty damn awesome. <laughs> I would die. What that notes was... did your parents have for <laughs> the show? God, no. <laughs> It was just, it was so wild at watching them argue on, like, because I, I was giving them, like, in, in every, like, every batch of ten, so episodes one to ten, which mm -hmm. one was your favorite, and watching my parents, like, duke it out or have a reason as to <laughs> why they were agreeing or just, it was freaking awesome. Um, and uh, I've been mixing the show with both doing baking and just having straight food chats with people where there's no baking involved at all and one of the food chats that i had with a toronto comic uh, my friend mark mcnally uh he talked about working on a cruise ship and the food on that on that ship and then that got my parents remembering about their honeymoon and it was it was fun how that yielded some stories um i have to say mom and dad episode 50 it was probably <laughs> my fave <laughs> I think everybody can also, like, understand that answer. Like, if your family's been on the show, you, it makes sense that yeah. they're your favorite. Um, any yeah. episode that you remember that had, like, something particularly disastrous happen? Um, episode, I believe it was episode 13. Oh, of course. Did, of course. Um, that we did a coconut peanut butter... I can't... Was that a coconut oatmeal? It was a cookie episode. Um, and uh, the cookie, and folks at home may have this happen, uh, when we put them on the on the tray to go into the oven, it just merged together to form a giant mm. sheet. There were no cookies. It was a <laughs> sheet cookie. So my guest was panicking. My friend Polly was just freaking out. And I said, grab a glass. We take it out of the oven. It hadn't <laughs> cooled yet. And we just cut cookie shapes out of the giant pan. <laughs> that works. That works too. Oh, I was thinking you could do it like like square pizza style, like sheet pan pizza style, where you just get like everybody gets those little squares up. <laughs> we totally could have done that too. Um, the very first episode of the show uh, with uh, Janice Israeloff, who's a Toronto mm -hmm. comic and she's been doing Zoom stuff too. Uh, we uh, intended to make apple pie bars and for some reason i decided to use a spring foam pan to bake this thinking we would bake it and then i would cut it into bar shape 
And we had such a wonderful moment at the end of realization when I was like, Janice, we, we made a pie. I've tried the apple pie bars and it never bars correctly. You just end up with a pie or apple crisp. (laughs) Something about apples. They don't bar. Apples are the enemy. (laughs) Oh, it's fun. It's fun when stuff goes wrong. It really is. And that sounds fantastic, and I'm really excited for whenever, maybe never, whenever I I get to be a guest on the show. It'll be cool. It's fine. No pressure. <laughs> no, I would. I would love to have you on. Oh, okay. My people will talk to your people. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> that's really fancy. I don't have people. <laughs> Actually, I can't say that. I can, I can like, forward you to my fiancé. He'll just forward it back to me. He's honestly, what I have going for me right now, he's, like, my tech support. He's, like, yeah. my... Uh, he'll, he gives me notes after these shows, which is always great. Um, I love it. My God. Um, okay, well, that's good to know. I'll look forward yeah. to that. Um, but yeah. kind of going back into the uh, producery side of things, because the uh, other super cool thing that you have going on is the film No Responders Left Behind. Um, I want to hear all about it. I want to hear how you got involved in the project. I want to hear, did you meet Jon Stewart? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> did I? Oh, I did. I, yeah. Um, that, uh, okay. So this was... Uh, this film is um, a cautionary tale of uh, watch what you tweet. That's what I will preface this by saying. <laughs> so um, I was, uh, and I still am, a big fan of The Daily Show. I watched it with John Stewart the years that he hosted. And I became really, really interested in the uh, advocacy work he was doing with 9-11 first responders. Because on the news here in Canada, weren't really hearing about 9-11 responders after, you know, the towers fell. And and I didn't know what was going on aside from hearing John Stewart talk about it. So in December of 2015, he came back on The Daily Show when Trevor Noah had started. And he tried to reconstitute this panel he had done about five years earlier. Um, and it was really quite jarring because there was one other person available to be on that panel and they left all the other chairs open and i'm sitting there on my couch just bawling i'm like they were hours away from this this funding uh you know being tossed out of the government and john was like tweet worst responders and bombard congress with these tweets And I tweeted something like, I'm a Canadian, I can't do much, but I'm just offering my support. A first responder who was in the audience of The Daily Show ended up adding me on Twitter. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. And for some reason, and I cannot tell you why, I messaged him back. I said, how can I help you guys? I don't know why I did that. I had no idea. He said, I'll introduce you to this guy named John Feel. And John Feel has since become the main subject of the documentary. He's a uh, 9-11 advocate, a former first responder. He was doing construction at Ground Zero. He was helping to pull stuff out. He got injured, I think, like 
10 hours after the window closed where 9-11 responders were eligible for insurance. You only had like 92 hours to claim insurance if you got hurt. And after that, it was deemed not, it was deemed basically your fault. It was like, well, tough luck. So this guy ended up forming um, uh, a group called um, the Feel Good Foundation. And in a phone call with him, uh, shortly after that, Jon Stewart returned to The Daily Show, I was like, can I bring a camera and follow you around? And um, he said, of course. And then I called, who is now my co-producer, Rob Lindsay, and I said, Rob, how do you make a documentary? I think I just talked myself into making a documentary. (laughs) And that is how it started. Oh my god! Oh! You essentially got the ball rolling entirely on this project as a film. Yeah, we had no, we had no outline. My crew, I think, hated me that first week. Because <laughs> they were like, what are we filming? I'm like, just follow these people. Just follow them. And so we, now, edit later. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But in doing that, they, we got really close to them. And they let us in on those, those non-TV moments of very candid attitudes and admissions and behaviors. And um, I think it was our th- second day of shooting that John Stewart showed up uh, at one of these events. And I got to tell John what I just told you of how it all started. Um, and uh, four years later, uh, we're just, uh, we're going through some legal stuff right now, but hoping to have uh, some news about a network very shortly. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I, I will that to happen. Again, this is not how you should go about your life, people. Right. <laughs> but it was kind of like following that whole huge life transition you had to then only yeah. like a year later basically have this huge thing happen. That That's wild to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... I, I oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I said I, I think that's like a really good way to actually live your life because it's you going, this is a thing I am passionate about. It's a story I want to tell. It's an important one. And just forcing that story to be told. It was it was so wild how just following my <laughs> my writer's instinct, because I, I do have a playwriting background. I've I've written about four plays. Um so I do have this this ear for like mm-hmm. knowing when something is I need to go this way, you know? Um and that was the case with this film. I knew that if I didn't know who John Feel was, there was a chance someone else didn't know who he was. And I was really quite, quite impressed, and I still am, that this dude who lives in a bungalow in Long Island is doing more work than half the people in, you know, Congress, you know, representing him in his area. He's the guy to go to. Um, I, I just find it such an incredible, um, it shows that anybody has the power to change something, you know? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, contrary to what you said, it sounds like, uh, go out there and do send that tweet, maybe, and you might just make an incredible connection. Because when I first saw that, I my brain naturally went to, okay, you know, she has a 
background as a TV producer. I assumed that that was somehow the connection, but not at all. Yeah, no, nope. send out no, a tweet. That is my first. And care about people. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah. I do have. Um, maybe I should have him just like start putting it in the normal chat since we have that as a thing now. But uh, my fiance is. Uh, he always like also chimes in with like questions he wants to hear answers to. Um, so. Uh, he wants to know about the playwriting. He wants to know more about that work where the play's comedy and, like, I, yeah. I'd be interested to know, like, is your writing process, because uh, this is technically, I guess, a show about comedy, but, like, uh, <laughs> sometimes we get into pretty serious stuff, but it is, like, supposed to be about comedy. But, like, um, so your process for, like, writing a comedic play versus your process for writing stand-up. Well, it's kind of wild because, as I say, I never took any classes in how to how to write for comedy or, or, or stand-up. Or, I've never taken a writing class. I never took a playwriting class, nothing. Um, but I, I ran into, um, uh, I used to work at this television network, uh, CBC, here in Toronto. And I ran into someone who I did not know, but he knew a high school friend of mine who had heard about this thing I did in high school of making chicken soup for a guy I had a crush on when he was sick. And behind my back, I became known as the soup girl. <laughs> and I went home that night and I was like, I, I was enraged because I was like, I was trying to do something for love and be kind. And, oh. and I started journaling all these things and all these dates and all, Basically, journaling was how I got started into playwriting and doing some hard, like, writing down each day of, like, dates gone wrong, stuff I did for love that didn't work out. Um, I think it was about three years later, uh, I had my first play, which I called How Does a Drug Deal Become a Decent Third Date? And I got a drug deal for a date. <laughs> um, I, I can't say enough about journaling and writing in a diary each night. And I'm someone who always has a notebook with me. So when I hear like a good line from a song or I hear someone say something on the subway, I'm always writing stuff down. And that is truly how I've written my plays. I've taken stuff that's happened to me. I've put it into characters and kind of followed how it might've worked out where it didn't actually for me. Um, I, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm like, wow, I really have no process. My process is no process. <laughs> Which is like the way that it works for some people. You know, I yeah. wish I were like that, but unfortunately I'm the type of person where I have to like sit down and methodically like plug away at something <laughs> and it becomes more like homework than anything, but I love right. that. <laughs> Yeah, I got weird yeah, ADHD brain. It, I got weird ADHD brain. Like <laughs> random things pop into my head, and right. if I'm smart, I record them on my phone or something. And if I'm not, which yeah. has happened, I'm just like, well, that's gone. It's too bad. That's yeah. funny. Idea. <laughs> so is that? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Sorry. I'm yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say I am just in always writing stuff down as I did for my playwriting for my characters, and oh, I'll. I'll put this song with this person or I'll put this with that person. Now that I'm doing stand-up, it's interesting how I'm doing that still, but then I get to riff on it and do something, you know, and make five minutes out of it or what have you. So it's almost like I was doing the thing that I ended up doing without knowing I was doing it. 
Well, sure. yeah, that's actually exactly what I was going to ask, because it feels like, uh, and other stand-ups uh, kind of do something similar, but when I watch you, it feels like the jokes are also kind of like little stories in themselves and kind of part of this overarching theme where it kind of goes back to how you described your personal sense of humor in the beginning. I definitely have a storytelling vibe to my, to my joke telling. Yeah, I definitely, definitely do. I'm not like a, you know, like a punchline quick person, like, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, I, uh, yeah, I tell, I tell little stories when I do my stand up. So, yeah. Oh my god. And the storyteller in so many ways now. We have the playwriting, we have the stand-up, we have the documentary. Oh my god. Jack of all <laughs> trades. I need to know what was bought on the third date. What kind of drugs? Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, oh god. That was like... Okay, first off, let me just say, I had no idea I was going on a drug deal. I had no idea. <laughs> I, I had met this guy at a theater festival and um and I remember writing a line in the play when the, the character who was basically me but this guy was playing me in, in the show um she was like I didn't realize when he'd say I was off to go do some lines that he was doing lines <laughs> not like freedom um I don't remember. But I don't remember what he what he sold. But what I do remember was that after dinner, he was like, "Do you want to come with me on an errand?" We drove somewhere in Toronto. To this day, no idea where we ended up um, because Toronto changes so so frequently. But as we're driving there, he's telling me what to say if the police show up, and he's telling me to do this and to do this, and I'm realizing I'm like, "Oh my god." I get to be the lookout. <laughs> I get to be the lookout. <laughs> what a positive way to frame it. I get to be. <laughs> oh. oh my wow. god. Um, and I'm sure someone's wondering, well, you clearly dumped this guy after that date. No, I dated him for two more months. Oh my god. Wow. What was the thinking behind that? Other than, I guess, no you get a lot for being, like, just young. <laughs> I hope he paid for dinner. Like, he made money at the day. He did pay for dinner. Basically, he had to work, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I had a co-worker who was, like, very... I mean, she gave bad advice. She was like, you should stick with this guy. See if he's a good one. I was like, okay. <laughs> Who's that friend? <laughs> that is like red flag after red flag. Oh, Just, oh my goodness. Friend's <laughs> bad. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, I ended up dumping him because I, I went... I went into the washroom and I was like, where's the toilet paper? He's like, I haven't bought any. I was like, screw this. That's what <laughs> did it. He ran out of toilet paper. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I could also see myself doing that because I, me and Brooks both actually have a bit of a theater background ourselves. So I'm just like, I would also be like, yeah, you're going to practice some lines. Must be in a show coming up or blah, blah, blah. Oh man. Uh, <sighs> kind of too bad. Yeah. It's like, man, I was hoping, I was hoping I get comp to <laughs> see opening night of something. Oh man. But yeah, but that play toured for a year. Yeah. Which was pretty cool. Yeah. 
So that that drug dealer did me a solid. <laughs> you know, it's all all part of the journey, and that seems to be a recurring theme now. I see in your life is just like these serendipitous moments of like yeah. connection. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you ever like? It's a weird question. I'm kind of doing it on the fly, but like, is that like? how you describe your own life like do you ever try and like observe your life and try and account for all of these instances of what i would like i'm not necessarily a huge person who believes in fate um i don't know if you are it sounds like with the kind of life you've had i would be too <laughs> i definitely am i mean i'm wearing like a rose quartz bracelet that is for, you know, good luck and optimism <laughs> um, i've been wearing a tiger eye bracelet for most of 2020 uh just for protection so yes i am very much someone who is uh i'm always watching out for signs i absolutely believe i've got you know james guiding me my spirit you know, my spirit team sort of pushing me towards certain directions. And I think, um, I don't know, I think I'm just very observant. I'm always listening. I'm always taking stuff in. I think it's because I'm a natural storyteller. So I'm always looking for where to go. And I don't, I don't know what it was that happened to me in my mid-30s that really pivoted me to just follow what makes me happy. But yeah, I just kind of go where the wind takes me. So, Which, yeah. yeah, is another kind of like additional lesson, I think. It's like yeah. if life <laughs> is pushing you in a certain direction, don't try and fight it and go against it. And maybe even, you know, that feeling that you're getting from going day in day out to your day job if it's not making you happy maybe a little bit of that is also kind of like the universe trying to push you back to where you're supposed to be um exactly i think so i mean i go about everything without a safety net for sure like i really don't have a safety net um and as someone who has had anxiety and panic attacks since the age of nine as I have, um, it's pretty ridiculous. I'm such a contradiction, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Anxiety yeah. attacks, also very easygoing and like go with the flow and like be gripping to my seatbelt the entire time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. I know, my, my therapist, I think quite enjoys the fact of when I talk about one thing that I talk about, when I do this, he's like, I don't, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my it's God. Fun. I don't know. Just be in the moment, really, I think. It's... Yeah, which is, like, also one of those things that corresponds to a lot of the philosophies that are behind, like, a bunch of comedy genres, whether it's stand-up or whether it's improv or, um, yeah. honestly, outside of comedy, a lot of performance styles, it's, like, one of the main messages is, like, be present and in the moment. So I think that the fact that you are very much like that with your day-to-day -day life uh, speaks yeah. to you excelling and you being drawn to stand-up and yeah. that kind of and life like, in general. Yeah, and improv was such a big thing for me. I mean, that's how I got started in comedy when I was 16, working at improv clubs in Toronto. And I think that teaching of just saying yes and going with it 
uh, I think that was really kind of hammered into me from a good, a good impressionable age. So, oh, yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. I like improv. <laughs> me and Brooks are, are big fans as well. And Roz, even oh, though she's not here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, wherever she is, she's at work. I forget if I said this at the top of the stream, but Roz is also fine, everybody. If you're worried about why she's not here, she's fine. She is healthy. Nothing horrible happened. Um, that being said, um, we're, we can like keep chatting and stuff, but one thing that I want to make sure uh, I do is ask you this question just because at least towards the end of the interview, we always ask, you know, what is up next on your roster? What are your kind of like, if you had like specific long-term goals for like where you see yourself going in comedy also? So maybe something short-term you maybe want to plug coming up and then also like, what are your intentions with comedy? <laughs> <laughs> what are my intentions? <laughs> I think my brother has been asking me that for a bit lately. <laughs> <laughs> with all this, um, <laughs> I I certainly want to make 2021 the year that I get writing packets off to TV shows. I really, whether it works or it doesn't work, that is something I will be doing in 2021. Is getting that stuff out there. Um, I will be directing my second documentary, so my first time directing. That has nothing, that has a little bit to do with comedy, actually, uh, that subject. Um, and um, as I said before, I want my Food Network show. <laughs> Which I am 100% behind. Like, I think that you should have a Food Network show. Um, I do. <laughs> and, I, and definitely definitely another goal for next year if all is good and i get my vaccine uh i want to be on back on the road and back in new york and mm. telling jokes and yeah and i think that's so much like on the roster for people now especially with like the little online comedy zoom community uh i don't know when you're planning on going on the road but we need to coordinate because i told chris that like the first thing we're doing when we're able to again is we're going to toronto we're going to visit you we're going to visit desiree we're going to visit like yeah. all the other canadian comedians that we've met on Zoom. <laughs> for some reason for those of you who don't know the tv and j mic is like Internet. dmv area toronto and then like a few californians and like, <laughs> i have no idea why that happened <laughs> Or, like, what that means, how the Facebook gods and algorithms assembled that together. But I'm really grateful for it. I'm not going to question it. Like, whatever they're doing, it's working. So I'm just like... <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think for me a lot, I have to credit to Desiree for telling me, oh, do this, Mike, do this, and I'm telling her to do this. And um, that's that's been super cool. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of wild. Like, uh, for, for us, we... I mean, America sort of has kind of taken to like the Zoom and the online stuff, I think way more than than Canada has. So yeah, you've got this little pocket of Toronto comics who are down with the Zoom comedy and we're like, yes, we'll be there. We'll do that show. <laughs> Is it like this elitism thing that's like keeping them from getting on or like what's Toronto's like the, the attitude of Toronto's comedy community? It seems, and I, I could be wrong, but I definitely have this impression that it's like 
just yeah it's that's not cool doing it online you've got to be in person you've got to be holding a mic stand you've got to like follow you know all all the things that we remember doing in clubs and that this doesn't count um i definitely get that impression from a lot of a lot of folks where as i you know and i think i've established this i'm like i'm game to try this sure and um you know for me and for desiree it's kept us so active and so busy and writing and making connections and i think it's been you know just the coolest thing uh given the craziness of this year so yeah i'm happy it happened <laughs> i'm also a big fan um of the awesome community we've been able to make and also just not commuting um to the clubs <laughs> although I will bring this up, although I think I've asked maybe on a previous show, but so the truth about like, is it, there's like a comedy club where they put the comics right now in like a plexiglass box to like, I, per yeah, I performed there. Yeah. Oh, did you know? <laughs> that would be redundant Brooks. <laughs> it was so, it was both super cool and so bizarre because i felt like i was i was in um i would get claustrophobic so fast yeah i oh <laughs> totally <laughs> so to, to protect everybody this this bar here in toronto um did a super job for keeping protected but still allowing people to be entertained uh in the club put a box around a very tiny stage and then put a camera that went out to the patio so the people in the patio could watch the show because you couldn't be in the bar. Oh. So it was like doing doing <laughs> this, but then people were behind it was <laughs> it was very oh. like how do, where do I look? Um but but kudos to them. Yeah, for, God bless them for trying. Like Yeah. I I miss a live audience too as much as the next person, but Zoom is definitely yeah. like you know, getting to do some writing stuff. And, you know, before all this happened, like, it'd been a really long time uh, where I'd done any sort of writing, let alone stand-up, or honestly um, done any shows with, like, words. Because, like, in my... <laughs> won't go too into this, because we're almost at the end of our time. But, like, uh, I was working for a theater company where their whole thing is, like physical theater and performance. So literally a lot of shows where you don't get to talk at all. Um, so to go from that to um, being able to like um, talk again <laughs> is cool. And it's like almost the opposite side of that. But anyway, I want to thank you so much um, for being here today. Um, I have a little bit of an outro, not really anything formal, but um, if you guys uh, want to follow uh, Kelly Zemnikis here, uh, you can catch her on YouTube for, again, the YouTube show, uh, It'll Be Fine, the Socially Distant Baking Slash Food Chat Show. Um, you can catch her on Instagram at The Latvian Foodie. You can catch Brooks on at Brooks Likes Food. And uh, you can, you know, follow all of our stuff at district underscore comedy or district comedy somewhere, either Facebook, uh, YouTube, whatever. But that's it. <laughs>